Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, let's look at what we'll be doing today. I have my notes up here. I have stage fright, and twice a year, I don't know what the day is, but twice a year I get mild panic. Today is that day. <laughs> So I'm going to be uh, a little more tied to my notes than I usually am. I hope that's not too much of a distraction for you, but it's the only way I'm going to get through this. So. Um, we've been looking at the attributes of God, a little series that we're doing that's called I Am. It's talking about the characteristics of God, the ten, you know, like uh, personality traits of God, his abilities. Again, these, these qualities, there's another good synonym, the qualities of God, and we're looking at these one at a time so that we can better understand who God is. We saw a quote last week, Tozer said, right, the, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. You cannot rise above your belief in God. And so it's important to see what God says about himself, not what you want him to be. And so we're looking in the Bible for what, how God has revealed himself, not just in words, but also in actions, so that we can live appropriately in, in response to his very nature. Okay. So last week we looked at his trustworthiness. I felt like that would be an outstanding place to start in light of his promises. And we found that he is trustworthy, and that, and that trustworthiness should anchor our souls. We should find those promises, cling those promises, and have every expectation that every one of those promises would come true. Today we're going to look at this, that God is loving like a father and wants us to be holy. All three of those phrases are very important, that he, God is loving, but loving like a father, and he wants to make us holy. We're going to see how God defines himself that way, that's why I'm using the word father, and, and then his ambitions. We'll be in the book of Hebrews like we were last week, it, it's towards the end of your Bible, and we'll be in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. For those of you that brought your Bibles, I'll have some of those verses up on the screen as we work our way through those. Before we can even start and talk about this passage, it's very important for us to have an idea of what uh, the obstacles will be that, that uh, this author will try to assault and clarify for us. The first one is that life is hard and we're surprised. Whoever wrote this book is just going to come right at us and kind of you know, be in our face about this truth that life is hard and we're surprised about it. I think the original audience was not surprised, but in our culture and even in our church culture, we are startled by difficulties in life. And he's going to try to make sense out of the difficulties, but we magnify those difficulties because of our expectations. And, and it, it's like many things in our life, if we had realistic expectations, we wouldn't be so broadsided, shocked, confused, and wallowing in self-pity. And, and this author is going to say, I, can I make sense out of some of this suffering? But when you and I are reading it, we are, we are blown over because we didn't expect life to be anything but good to us. Okay? And, and, and here's the thing, it's not the, in, I, in, my, in, our, in my experience and my experience with other people, it's not the event, it, it seems like, it's, let's say on a magnitude of 1 to 10, it's a 5, but it's inappropriate, inappropriate expectations that bring it to an 8 and cause people to flail around and lose their reason in these experiences. So he's, our, our, uh, our author today is going to say, look, Life is a marathon? No, no, no. It's more like a series of, of difficult experiences in life. Um, I heard a, a 
a history prof professor say one time, the history of mankind is nothing more than a history of wars. There's some truth to that. And there's some truth to this. Your personal biography is nothing more than a series of stories of difficulties and trials that you've had to deal with. And, and, and one of the themes here of this passage that we look at is that when you feel like your, your difficulties are overwhelming and, and persecution or, or sorrow is conspiring against you and you feel like your tragedies are beating you down, that you think that there is no plan or purpose to any of it. And the writer says, there is. There is, part, there is a plan and there is a purpose and you may never understand it, but it doesn't mean it's not true. I would even add this, that suffering and sorrow and difficulties and hardship are absolutely necessary for you to grow. You cannot grow without difficulties and sorrow and, and um, hardship in your life. And I would say that that would be true for the most part even before there was a fall of mankind. If you look at Adam and Eve, or just look at Adam, what is his job description? He's a rancher farmer. Interview any rancher or farmer or rancher farmer, and they'll tell you life's hard. They're going to plow the field. It wasn't cursed. They're going to do what ranchers do. I'm the city kid. I don't know what they do. But I think it's hard, and that's why I live in the city. Um, without difficulty, you, you are retarded at shallow and immature, even before a fall. And so these things are necessary. Suffering is added because of a curse, but, but it's still to be used. And so what you have to do is you, if we have a view that, that life is hard and we're surprised, we have to take the surprise out and we have to enlarge our philosophy of life. We have to expand our worldview so that it encompasses this fact that life is difficult and full of suffering. And, I mean, what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, the second thing that we need to grasp is that life is not about being happy, it is about being holy. That is, a, that is a paradigm or a way of looking at all reality that the Bible believes in. That life is about, not about being happy, it's about being, it's about being holy. And in America, that is a tragic violation of our core values. Because we believe that we are supposed to be safe and happy, or huh, happy and safe. But those are the two alternatives, and this is assuming that neither one of those are God-given rights. And it's going, to help us, it's going to help us make sense out of suffering. Let me hear the object, one of the objectives today is we're going to see that it's going to make some sense out of some suffering. It's not going to make all sense out of some suffering. It's not going to make sense out of all suffering, some sense out of all You know, all those, all, you know, you get the alternatives. We're going to have some sense out of some suffering and hardship in our lives. But we've, we've got to abandon, we've got to expand our view of life so that we can incorporate this idea that life is difficult and it's a pursuit of holiness that we're after. And uh, the, the ironic part of this is if you pursue happiness, you won't get holiness. If you pursue holiness, you'll get happiness because we're designed to be holy and the, more, the closer we get to this state of holiness, the likeness of Christ in our lives, the happier we become. So the ambition for God in our lives is to make us, mold us, to form us, to be in the image of his son if he were in your skin. That's the goal. So life is hard. This is a great talk already, isn't it? Life is hard, and we're pursuing happiness or holiness, not happiness. Those are the two kind of principles. And then this third thing we have to know before we even read 
uh, the passage is the definition of discipline. The dis- discipline, this word discipline is going to be used nine times. So could I define it before we even read? Okay, discipline in the Greek it means a word of parental molding. I mean, if you can imagine him throwing clay, uh, and we'll use a parental model of being a father because that's the passage. But so this father is molding this child. He's making him what he, was, he or she was meant to become. It, it is an idea of loving um, instructions. It, and, and by the way, when the, when the Bible speaks of these things, it's much deeper than behavior modification. Right, So we don't want, uh, God doesn't want us as children not to steal, thy shalt not steal. That, I mean, that'd be fine if you didn't. But he would rather you, he, he's going to go after in his discipline, why would you steal in the first place? He's going after the motive of, of trying to quench the value that you think some physical thing is, is going to satisfy your soul. To the point where you would be willing to take from someone else. Again, that's, that's bad within itself. But there's another issue, and that is what are you using to fill an infinite void? Really something temporal? So when God disciplines, he's going to go after the root, the deeper cause of the problem. And, and the word that's going to be used here is discipline. And actually the word, here's another helpful thing to help grasp what uh, the depth of this word is the Greek word is where we get the word pediatrician or pediatrics. So it's this idea, this this kind-hearted father-doctor that comes and does diagnostic work for our soul and then then prescribes something that will make us well. And And probably I would imagine one of the most difficult parts of pediatrics is that your patient has no concept of what's happening. They didn't do anything wrong. They come in, people hold them to the table and stick them with needles. You can try to explain, you need not explain. There's a lot of discipline that God does for us that will be uh, well spoken here that he would love to try to explain, but it, it no need to explain. What you do need to know is that he loves you. God is love like a father and he wants to make you well. Okay? So, so when we read discipline, we want this is the definition of discipline. Okay? It's purposeful correction for your soul. Purposeful correction for your soul. Now, we're able to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. We know that life is hard, that holiness is a goal, and the discipline is purposeful correction for your soul. Right? Here we go. Let me see if I can read. 4 through 11. Uh, In your struggle against sin, you have yet to resist to the point of even shedding blood. Now, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that that addresses you as fathers address their own sons? Because it says this. He's quoting an old proverb. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose hope or do not lose heart in when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So endure hardship of discipline. Okay? God is treating you as one of his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, if you're not disciplined, you're not a legitimate child. Not a true son or a daughter at all. Verse 9 says, moreover, we all have human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of the Spirit and live? 
The discipline for us, they disciplined us uh, for a little while, and they thought that was best. But God disciplines us for the, what is our good in order that we may share in his holiness. There it is, the, the goal. Verse 11 sums it up nicely. No discipline is pleasant, for, uh, is pleasant at the time. You bet. It's painful. I agree. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay, it's a long reading, uh, no doubt. So let, let's take a look at it separately, and so we might be able to learn more about maybe some of the things that are happening in our own life, some suffering, some difficulties, some persecutions, whatever, maybe some of our own consequences, right? Sometimes it is punishment. It is our own consequences for choices that we make. The first few verses, four through seven, serve as a summary of the whole idea, and then he's going to give us three ways to kind of learn to live with it, okay? Just with that in mind, let's look at uh, four through seven. He's going to tell us two things to avoid when being disciplined and one thing to, in, uh, to hope for, okay? Verse four says, remember this? It's up on the screens now. I'll put these on the screens. In your struggle against sin, okay, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his own son? It says this in Proverbs, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. There's the one thing to avoid. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. There's the other thing. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone who accepts, he accepts as a son. Therefore, endure hardship as discipline. See the two things to avoid? Right? The first thing is to don't take it lightly, and he says don't lose heart. So don't take it lightly means uh, it, it means to have contempt for punishment or contempt for discipline. You might have had this uh, with your children, or you might have been this way when you were, had discipline. That's um, I'm going to grind my teeth. I'm, I'm hunkering down. I am not going to learn anything from this because I am not the one that needs to change. You're wrong. I'm right spank me, put me in timeout, penalize me, fire me. You do what you want to do, I'm going to be me. I'm, and you will be. You will be a meaner, harder, stiffer you because you have chosen not to regard his discipline. You've chosen to regard it lightly. And so if you regard it lightly, you become hard. On the other, on the other extreme, though, is you lose heart. And this, again, is very American of us. We lose heart because we have a value that life is, a per, is the pursuit of being happy. And we don't think life should be hard. See, those first two points are coming into, into play now. And so when something difficult happens in our life, it could be our own consequences for our choices, or it could be suffering or evil or whatever it might be, and, and we're just shocked. And, and, and we lose heart, and we flip out. There's, there's a great translation. We flip out. There is no God. No, there is a God, and he hates me. There is a God, and he's vindictive, and he's just, I mean, he likes everyone better than me. There's a God, and he's evil. Or did I say there was no God? Have I made that lap? Yes, I did. Okay. And what this person that, that loses heart is because they think life is supposed to be happy, and, they, and they're surprised. And no one has told them that life is hard, and they can't grow without the difficulties of life. And so they abandon ship. They are broken and destroyed. So you grow hard by taking it light, and, or you're broken and destroyed by losing heart. And the writer here says there's something you can do 
and that is to endure hardship, to, to stay with it, that you need hardship to make your life work. Heart, you could look at it like this. In your mind, instead of these other two um, tapes that you're playing, right, you say this. You say, you know what? This is not punishment. This is not vindictively God coming after me. This is something sick inside of me. Because the word discipline means that God is a father that's a pediatrician, and he has found something in my soul, and this is the medicine that will cure it. Or it could be, you know what? I deserve this. I've had this coming. This is my fourth job. I'm always the smartest guy on the crew, and people are, are starting to figure out that I'm not worth having around. Or gossip is leading me to friendlessness, right? So, yes, this is punishment. And there is something sick inside my soul, and this is just what I need to get well. You see, you're enduring hardship by not taking it too lightly and growing hard and getting tough, and you're not you know, losing heart and thinking that God's vindictive or evil. You're, you're, you're realizing that, that God is love, but like a father, and he wants to make you holy. God is loving, but it's like a father's love, and he wants to make you more. He wants to make you righteous and peaceful. And, and so you, you grow, you, you need this hardship so that you can grow. You can't change without hardship. Okay? You, you can't have faith unless it's been tried and tested, right? You can't push compassion unless uh, you have compassion fatigue. You can't extend, you can't grow, you can't extend your patience until you start running, what, out of patience, right? You can't, you don't know the ends of your commitment until it's tried. So our soul is a little bit like our muscle system, right, where it, is, it needs to add weights to grow. And the hardships and the persecutions and sometimes the punishments, the consequences of our lives do that. And God allows that to happen, sometimes arranges that to happen. Because God is love, like a father, and he wants to make us holy. Okay? Now, that's the theme. That, you see that in 4 through 7, we're kind of done, but you want to know, well, how can, I, how can I live with this knowledge that would be more effective, right? Could you give me a couple clues on how to live? Well, that, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to give us three clues on how to live more effectively. And the first one is that God is far from being distant. And, he's, and you can see that in 7 and 8. God is far from being distant. Yes, I know, it's a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing, but look at verse 7 and 8. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating us as, as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everybody undergoes discipline, but then you're not even a legitimate child. You're not a true son or a daughter at all. He's inside of our heads, and during difficult times... During persecution, hardship, sorrows, the first default that we go to, the program is, God is far away. He's forgotten me. He's nowhere near. And what this writer is saying, he's saying, no, 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 no. On the contrary, if you feel like you're getting spanked, it's because God is close to you. You're within reach. <laughs> Did you ever negotiate for that seat when you're driving on a big distance, you know, where your mom or dad could reach you, and you're trying to get to that backpack seat? 
See, your distance. No, if he's, if he's kind of slapping you, it's because he's close to you. If, if, you can get, if you can get away with things for too long, you should reconsider whether you're a child of God. That's the logic of this passage. If you feel like the pressure of your decisions or just life is turning on you, do not believe that you're independent of God, but actually you're close to God. If there was a, a, a tight playground, 100 children, and they were all misbehaving, how would you know which child is mine? The one that I jump into the mosh pit and grab and pull under my arm and say, we're going to talk about this at home. And while I'm walking him out to the minivan and putting him in that car seat and strapping him in, he's supposed to feel like he's close to me. <laughs> That's my dad. And I'm going to be disciplined. And he doesn't care about you other kids. And you won't be disciplined. That's what he, <laughs> it's a different way of looking at life, but it's true. We spank our own children. If you're being spanked, be encouraged. He's refining you. The second thing he says to live with this, this truth that, that God is loving but like a father and he's going to make us holy is that we respond to discipline with respect and surrender. So those are the two words that we want to be looking for in the next couple of verses, respect and surrender. And I used uh, a synonym for surrender. I, the word that you'll see is submit. So just submit to it. Respect what's happening, that he's in charge, and then just surrender to it. Just submit to it. Let it happen. Verse 9 and 10. Moreover, uh, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and, res- and, and when we respected them for it, Eventually, <laughs> at least my story is, of, yes, thank you for those spankings, eventually. And how much more should we submit, there's that word, surrender to the Father of spirits and, and live? They disciplined us uh, for a little while as they thought was best. So we eventually realize what happens is we're not, we're not children anymore. We're not in the pediatrics office. We have a grown-up doctor, God, and, and his, who's a father. And we say, oh, that's why you gave me that injection of, what, some kind of illness so that I would get antibodies to be able to fight that illness. Now I understand. So eventually, you, maybe you might have had that conversation. Dear Dad, thank you now that I understand. But he just says, look, if you can figure that out with your own father, how much more? with the Father of our spirit, that he is up to something, and you don't necessarily need to know what's going to happen or why, but he, he does. Look what God is doing. Can we just step back and review what he's working with? He is bringing a fallen and corrupt world to correct the fallen and corrupt you. Let me say that again. God is taking a fallen and corrupt world. He did not make this. Someone else broke it. But he's going to take that and he's going to apply it to a fallen and broke you to make you holy where you have a harvest of peace and righteousness. And so, so he takes disease and conflict and war and poverty and racism and, uh, and, Ill, and those sorts of illnesses of the world. And he says, okay, let's just put my child in the midst of this so that we can start talking about his foolishness and selfishness, his cowardly, his self-focus, uh, his lack of self-reflection. And it brings those things to the surface, don't they? It's through the difficult times that we start to realize in our own lives, I am a selfish pig, and I didn't know that when things were well. 
I have a problem with being a coward, and now I'm going to have to face that. And so God brings, brings those, he allows those circumstances in our lives so that we could reveal to our own self, and those, those attributes could be tested so that God could provide a cure for that. Do you, do you see? That's what he's up to. And so whether, whether it's your freshman year in college or your first week at work or whatever it might be, a lot of new things that are happening in our lives, those scare us and force us to see the ugliness that God has seen for all along. And he says, now let's, let's put some ointment on that, shall we? And the point here is, is, he's saying, he says, you need to respect that God's up to something bigger, but to surrender or submit to it, what that means is, would you please not be focusing so much on the circumstances around you and see the bigger thing, and that is that he loves you like a father, and he wants to make you holy. So all of this around you that's causing the vice, the two sides of the vice, that, that is there for you to be cured, not to be broken. Finally, he says, it, it, happiness, right? Holy is greater than happy. We, we talked about that ahead of time. I wanted you to have a head start going read this verse. You'd already know what we're talking about, but ha- holiness is greater than happiness. That's the end game of this father who loves us. He's going to make us holy. Look at verse 10 and 11, and I want you to see maybe his description or definition of holiness. But verse 10 says, look, our fathers disciplined us when, uh, for a little while, and what they thought was best, they meant well, but God disciplined us for good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, duh, but painful, yes. Later, however, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you choose to be trained by it, you will have a har- This is the end game that you would have this harvest of righteousness and peace. You want those. You want those. And that's why you'll thank him later. And that's why that's what he's up to. And we are, I mentioned this in the introductory comments, but I'm going re- to review. If you pursue happiness, you won't become holy. You will just become embittered. Because life is hard, and you'll continually be surprised. If you pursue holiness, you will get holiness and happiness. By design, you were made to be holy. And so as you become more of what you were designed to be, you become happier. In a soulish way, I would, I would probably it'd be better to use the word joy. You become joyful. So... Let me just review again. Verse 7 says that we are to endure the hardship of discipline because our Father loves us and we will thank him later. With all of that in mind, that we're to endure hardship, the hardship of discipline because the Father loves us and we'll thank him for, for later. I saved this for the end because this will help us apply it still another way. The word endure there, we've looked at it in the past when we were in Thessalonians, but the word endure there is the Greek word has a prefix in front of it, hypo, like exaggerate, hypo stand, or really stand still. In other words, don't move. What do we do? What do we do when we're in hardship, in suffering, in persecution? We fight or flight, we just flee mostly. 
And the writer here is saying, stand there. Do not run away from God. Do not run away from your prayer life. Do not stop your regular Bible reading. Do not cease in your regular you know, conversations with people that are smarter, wiser, or may have been through things. Do not stop reflecting in on what God may be doing because he's a surgeon. He's a pediatrician. He does things. Don't look at how or why. Look at what he might be curing with this, with this ailment. Uh, this ailment. Your faith is not, you, your faith can't grow unless it's tested. Your compassion cannot ex, can be stretched until it hits fatigue states. Your patience has an end and then it becomes a supernatural event. Commitment is, is never pushed until it's tried. God loves you, He is loving like a father. He loves you like a father, and he wants you to be courageous, not a coward. And do you know what he'll do? He'll have you face that fear because that's how you become courageous. Do not question his love. God is loving. He's like a father, and he doesn't want you to be selfish. He wants, you to be, he wants you to be humble, not proud. And so he will humiliate you, maybe. Don't question his love. He, he, he is loving like a father. He, he wants you to be selfless, not vain and conceited. And so he might take something away. Don't question his love. You see, God is loving like a father, and he's out to make you holy. God is loving. It's, not, it's the love you need. He's like a father, and he wants you to have a harvest of righteousness and peace. He is a good God. And he will make you, you. And you'll thank him for that. Know that to be true. Okay? Let's pray about that. Let's be thankful for that. Lord Jesus, um, we, we are grateful for this attribute that you have so graphically explained to us in this book called Hebrews. And I'd ask that you would... Uh, I don't just paralyze us when we take lightly your discipline and even more likely when we lose heart and start floundering around about what you're like and who you are. Instead, I'd ask that you would help us endure hardship, the hardship of discipline. Lord, here's my prayer today, that your spirit would get into our history and you would, you would give us a director's cut commentary of what was really happening in our history. Lord, cause us right now to remember maybe one or two terrible events. And then, I'm, Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would tell us what your, what your fatherly, loving discipline 
was up to in those moments and what fruit of righteousness and peace it was out to produce. Lord, give us um, some moment this week to meditate on that. Give us, give us those events even right now as, we, as we're here. Now, Lord, as you speak to us in the future or about this event in the future, as you tell us what you were up to in our past, would you give us confidence of the future sufferings that we will endure because your loving, your loving discipline is out to make us holy. Let your past work be the confidence that gives us confidence in the future. We pray this with great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org. 